The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is our special guest, Elliot Gay, who is now back in the US after having spent, what, five years in Japan? Yeah, five years, I guess a total of six if you include college. How's how's uh, the US treating you? How's the culture shock? You know, it's not quite as bad as I expected. And I think part of that is because I, I was so used to coming home for the holidays. And oh. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, um, I guess in my mind, I am still in vacation mode. But the reality is that I'm just up here for the time being. So, yeah, it's a little bizarre. Yeah, I didn't come home at all when I was in Japan because uh, my assumption was, you know, if I'm in Japan, you can come to me and you can have a cool <laughs> Japanese vacation and stay at my place and I'll give you a tour rather than me spending God knows how much money to fly back to the U.S. Yeah, and see, that's the best case scenario, I think. <laughs> though there was one thing that I missed while I was in Japan, and I oh. craved it so much. What was that? Taco Bell. Yeah, right? It's so <laughs> bizarre. And you tell people that here. Oh, man, I have the worst cravings for Taco Bell. And they look at you like you're crazy. And all you can say is you, you don't understand. You don't understand how much you miss it until it's gone. But then I came back, and literally the first thing I did was go to Taco Bell, and I had a burrito, and I was like, well, that was a mistake, which is yep. another Taco Bell tradition. Yep, never again. Exactly. exactly. But then you always go back. You always go back. But they're, they're open so late, and they're just right there, and it's so cheap. So the reason I had you on was not to talk about Taco Bell so much, but to talk <sighs> about a... RPG that came out, I believe, uh, a month ago now at this time, maybe a yeah, month and a half ago. A little bit ago. And that would be Fire Emblem Fates, better known as Fire Emblem If in Japan. And yes. you finished um, at least one half of it, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I finished the uh, Hoshido Path, which in Japan uh, is called Byakuya, uh, but I believe in America it's going to be called Birthright. Okay. Um, so it's split into two different parts. Yes, two different games. So do you want to give us a little overview of, uh, of Fire Emblem Fates? Sure, yeah. Okay, so I guess the easiest comparison I can make to get a quick image uh, is if you look back to the Game Boy Advance, not Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, uh, and The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, right? You have two yeah. uh, different, separate Legend of Zelda games come out on the system at the exact same time. Um, they both told different stories. Uh, they're completely different games. Uh, and that is the case for Fire Emblem, uh, I guess I'll use the American name, uh, Fates, Birthright, and Conquest. Birthright is the one I completed. Conquest is the one I'm only a few chapters into. Um, and so the way the game functions is from chapter one to chapter six of both games, that's the exact same content. Uh, you're going through what is effectively the prologue of the game. Um, and when I say prologue, I also mean that in terms of length as well, because it's it's basically just tutorial quests, and you could probably clear it in under an hour. I think I got through it in about 40 minutes, give or take. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very breezy. Uh, and then after that, if you buy a physical version of either game, then it just automatically switches 
to the path you're supposed to be on after a big event happens in-game. Basically, you have to choose between one family and another. Uh, betray your blood family or betray the family that raised you since you were a child. Um, but, in my case, I actually went digital. Uh, so I bought the digital version of Fire Emblem Fates, and when you do that, you're not locked into either path at first. So when you get to the splitting point, you get to choose which route you want to play, and then the game will subsequently download that path's data from the internet mm. and lock you to it. So when you first download the game, you're not downloading the full game. You're effectively only downloading that prologue. And then after that, it locks you in by downloading the rest of the data. Um, but the birthright path uh, is probably closer to what people experienced with Fire Emblem Awakening as, as far as difficulty is concerned. Uh, it's the easier of the two games by far. Um, and they've made no qualms about advertising that way in Japan as well. Um, it's kind of been pushed forward as the, hey, if you're new to Fire Emblem, play this one first. Um, the objectives are all fairly simple, like wipe out the enemy leader or wipe out all the targets on the map. Um, they don't really get much more varied than that, though the maps do get rather interesting as the game goes on. Um, there are a lot of gimmicks on the field. It's kind of cool. But another thing worth mentioning is that outside of those opening six chapters, no maps are shared across versions of the game between Birthright and Conquest. So all the content you see in Birthright is specific to that game. Uh, and that includes the playable characters you get outside of a handful. I think it's either five or six characters that uh, are available between the two. But the rest of the cast is completely specific to that game. Um, so yeah, they're, di they're completely different experiences, which surprised me at first because I thought it was going to be kind of a, an easy cash grab. But it's clear that they actually made two full Fire Emblem games, which is kind of absurd when you think about it. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I cleared it in about 23 hours. Um, I'm not great at Fire Emblem games, which is worth noting. I'm kind of, uh, I love them to death, but I'm terrible at them. Um, but, yeah, I had a really good time with it, and I think, overall, uh, I enjoyed it more than Awakening. Uh, and I like that game That's a lot. That's pretty impressive, because Awakening is probably the best Fire Emblem game since, what, Fire Emblem 5? Yeah, you know, I, I know a lot of uh, hardcore fans had issues with its difficulty. Um, and I know the the biggest complaint in Japan with Awakening was that its story did not feel like a Fire Emblem story. Uh, it was very, like, kind of basic and straightforward. Um, and it kind of lacked the political intrigue that a lot of other Fire Emblems had. And you can tell they're trying to sort of rectify that in Fates. Um, Birthright plays it a little bit more vanilla. Like, it's kind of the more typical white versus black, darkness versus like light story. Um, in fact, color scheme-wise, it's exactly that, because the Hoshido, the kingdom of Hoshido that the player character joins is basically Japan, but everything's white and colorful and, and sort of, you got sakura petals falling everywhere, and then the country they're fighting against in the war is called Nor, and it's a country of darkness, and everything's like black, all the armor's dark and black, and everything's kind of cruddy-looking, um, and you know, the king of that kingdom is particularly evil-looking. Um, it's very straightforward. There's some good twists here and there, but, like, you can tell they kind of saved the more interesting perspectives for the other uh, game, Conquest. But I haven't quite gotten far enough into that to see how it holds up. But generally speaking, though, I think it's a more interesting story than Awakening, even, even uh, Birthright. So they're trying to appease fans... Uh, of Awakening and maybe the older school hardcore strategy fans with both of these games essentially. Yeah, it seems like they kind of they listened 
to the feedback from Awakening from newcomers and from the veterans. And they thought about it real hard, and the conclusion they came to was, well, let's just make two separate games then, um, which is not really, like, the end result you expect in these situations. But here we are with, you know, we have these two games, right? We have Conquest and we have Birthright. But there's actually a third downloadable path that is as long as either of those available as DLC for the game. So effectively three games, um, which is really crazy to me. So is it like Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons in that you have to play both to unlock the true ending? So no, they don't require that of you. Um, in fact, a few, a few magazines, a few Japanese magazines were recommending that you basically just play either Conquest or Birthright and then just go straight to the third path, uh, which I believe is DLC for about $20, but it's, again, it's a full, you know, 20-plus hour campaign, so it's not really a bad deal in that respect. Um, but I do know that that third campaign does share assets with the other two, so unlike the packaged games, it's not a completely uh, original package, but... Does it split the... Are the casts completely different between the two? Um, yeah, so... Because the, the games, both games are effectively divided between two countries, um, if you pick up Birthright, you join the kingdom of Hoshido, and all of your allies are going to be Hoshido warriors and, and sort of people in that country. Um, like I said before, there are about five or six characters that overlap between both versions that you can get in either version, but otherwise, uh, the vast majority are exclusive to that version. Um, so, actually, I have it in front of me right now. Um, in the case of Hoshido, um, there are 19 exclusive characters you can only get in Hoshido. And in Nor, there are... It's the equivalent, yeah. Uh, and that doesn't include the children that you could have, because that system's also back in this game, so... Hooray, because that's was one of the things that I absolutely loved about Fire Emblem Awakening was the ability to pair up certain characters and then see what kind of crazy kids they ended up having because they came from the future or something. Yeah, there's some crazy children in this one too, but narratively speaking, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense how they uh, how they kind of ham-fist them into the story, unfortunately. It didn't really make a lot of sense before either, did it? You know, in Awakening, at least they, the story, and this is minor spoilers, I guess, but kind of deals with time travel a bit, but... In the case of Fates, it doesn't deal with time travel at all, and in fact, they kind of don't even use time travel to explain how the children are adults when you find them. It's it's really it's actually explained away in probably three sentences of uh, I don't know story that are told in this really kind of hackneyed way. But you know, I can understand that they just really want to get the system back in the game, regardless. And there's no easy way to do that beyond just doing another time travel story again. So they just kind of found a random crack in the story and dumped it in there. That's the way to do it. And the way to do it is you have to have your characters um, together by a certain point in the game and mm. then you have a time skip. That's the more interesting way of doing it, for sure. Um, that's probably the most legit way of doing it. I was kind of hoping that's where it go, but unfortunately, yeah, it, just, it just sort of happens and you, you kind of just shrug. But, I mean, you know, it gives you more characters, gives you more funny side stories to do, so I guess I can't complain too much. It is a video game. Tell me about the cast of Birthright. Who are your favorite characters? Okay, so the thing about Birthright is I uh, I like their designs better than 
the cast of Conquest overall, but because of the way the story is positioned as you are the good guys, they are the bad guys in this particular version of the game, um, the cast is really good, don't get me wrong, they're really cool, but they feel almost a little bit too goody-two-shoes. Like, there are no crazies on Birthright's side because they're the noble and just kingdom. Uh, that being said, uh, I really liked... Um, and these names could change as things go forward because I don't know how they're going to be localized, but there's one archer, like horseback archer, named Yugidi, and she's this kind of older lady, um, and she appears midway through the game, and she's the only member of the cast that's, that's kind of a little bit crazy. Like, every time she kills someone, she kind of just gets her rocks off really hard. Um, but there are also a bunch of ninjas on the Hoshido side, which is cool, too. Um... And then there's one character that I'm fond of named Rinka. Um, and I think, yeah, uh, she's an Oni Savage, which is one of the starting classes. Um, but she's just super ripped, and she uses this giant hammer malice to beat people down. And, yeah, I don't know. I'm totally into that. <laughs> What's your take on Salil? Salil? Uh, you know... Because I didn't play that version of the game, I can't speak to it too much. But I have seen all of the video. I have seen all the Japanese dialogue. I've seen the context for it, the build-up, what sort of character she's beforehand. Um, and I will say that that initial blog was reacting to a lot of things that weren't placed in context, necessarily. Like, I think there are still issues with her, uh, with her sort of, I guess, what's it called? Like, the S-rank stuff. But at the same time, I don't know if they're necessarily the same issues that Blog was taking umbrage with, um, because there were some actual factual details that were wrong in that Blog, like stuff about her personality, her relationship with her father, like very key details that form this character were just completely wrong or off the mark. And I think this is a problem you run into when you're talking about a Japanese game that hasn't been localized yet, and you're only getting small chunks, pieces, bits and pieces here and there that people are translating and you don't even know if those translations are accurate or not to begin with, but you're taking it kind of at face value because, you know, why question it? Um, so you don't get the full story. And so it, it ends up being kind of a non-starter as a discussion because you don't even know if you're dealing with the right details to begin with. Um, that being said, after getting all the details, you know, I think... Before they, you they continue, can you put this into context for people who aren't familiar with what was going on with this character? Sure, yeah. This this happened a little while, so forgive me if I get some of the details a little bit wrong. But um, So there's this character named Soleil. Uh, she, is in, uh, she is in Conquest. She is a daughter. She's a daughter character, so she's a child character that gets born and becomes an adult, etc. Um, the character herself, she's cheerful, super energetic. She likes to fight. Um, she loves her father deeply. She kind of wants to be as cool as her father. Um, she's super popular with the ladies because she's such a cool person, so she likes to hit on them. This is kind of a really tired-slash-old trope in anime-manga. You always have that, like, female character who's kind of princely, I guess you could say. Um, and that's kind of what the role she plays. Um, she kind of she swings either way. It's not explicitly said she's bisexual, but it's kind of implied that she is. Um, but yeah, so what happens is... Like, when she comes into contact with really beautiful women, like, she gets, like, super anxious and kind of passes out, I think, was the whole idea. Um, and so the main character, when you're playing as the male version of the main character, and you take her, like, 
relationship status all the way to the end, what happens is you decide to, she wants your help. She asks you for her help in fixing this problem with women uh, because you're a guy and you deal with women all the time. And so what you end up doing as an MC is you use this like magic potion that makes it so that she sees everybody as women. And she finds this out pretty quickly. Like Pretty soon after you give her the potion, she's like, did you give me a potion? And you're like, yeah, I did. Now you see everybody as women. And she kind of like goes through the paces like that for a little while and, and kind of gets used to being around women all the time, no matter what. And then eventually the potion wears off and um, basically like as an all S rank or S level relationships you two fall in love and get married and have kids um but the the place that i remember the blog was taking serious umbers with was with the the potion stuff and sort of you know date rape and and roofies and that kind of thing um and i you know and also turning the other big thing was like turning her from being a lesbian into a straight person which i don't it, it in terms of context it really doesn't read that way um, but I mean, you know, that, that is one way to look at it and, you know, who am I to say that's a wrong way to look at it? I think these things are important to discuss either way. Um, but I do think maybe some of the initial ether that it spawned was a little bit, not over the top, but maybe unwarranted because we didn't have all the details. Um, it's going to be yeah, a fun thing to localize regardless. It will be, you know, because I think in Japan, you know, you have tropes in anime and manga that, that are just kind of there. You know, you have magic potions that people sneak into people's drinks. Like, you have entire shoujo manga based around, like, the girl who, who drugs the guy's drink so that he falls in love with her. Like, all these sorts of things that are kind of looked at as just, you know, whatever, okay, that, you know, in Western society now, especially in America, we're discussing in the media and discussing in, in things we enjoy because, you know, criticizing the things we enjoy is important. Um, but, you know, in Japan, they're just not thinking of that kind of stuff, so it just doesn't register. But, yeah, you know, that's going to be that's gonna be something for the localizers to tackle, for sure. So outside of the fact that you can split the game, or the game has effectively been split into, I guess, three parts at this point, yeah. um, are there any new systems or anything new mechanically that uh, people should be aware of? You know, mechanically, like, a lot of the systems in this game are rebalanced versions of things in Awakening. They kind of took a, if it isn't broke, don't fix it approach in a lot of ways. So, you know, you have the pairing systems where you put two units next to each other and they can support each other. You have the system where you can have one unit carry another. Uh, units can get married. Um, the biggest gameplay change, and arguably, like, probably the biggest game changer for all three versions of this game, is the My Castle mode. Um, so I might be wrong, and this might have been in a much older Fire Emblem, but I don't remember, so forgive me for a mistake here. But uh, basically, after a certain point early on in the game, you get your own castle. Uh, you get your own castle to play with. And you can, as you complete battles, as you win battles and complete missions, you get points that you could put toward equipping your castle with more stores and shops and facilities. Uh, so we're talking, you know, blacksmiths, item shops, hot springs, you can, you know, make your house look nicer, you can put up statues of characters, which will boost their abilities when you have to defend your castle against enemies, um, all sorts of different types of facilities and things you can do. Um, you know, they describe it in one of the Uada asks for the game, uh, they kind of describe it as a separate game in and of itself, and I can totally see that, you know, this sort of thing put out on a mobile device and, and having that kind of 
bit. Um, but yeah, you can spend a lot of time there just building up your castle and making it look cool and, and boosting your abilities, especially because um, you can have other players attack your castle. Um, this is an option. It's like a street pass option as well uh, and an online feature. Um, there's castle defense missions where you basically have to make sure they don't make it to the center of your castle. Uh, so you got to wipe them all out before they get there. Um, you go there after every single uh, chapter ends. Um, so it's effectively your home base. A little Suikoden going on here. Definitely. I got some. I immediately got some Suikoden vibes, which was nice because love that game. Yeah, I'm really fond of that game too. Yeah, I I mean, more Fire Emblem is certainly good, especially given that uh, in the Iwata Asks that you cited a little bit ago, it sounds like they originally intending Awakening to be the final Fire Emblem and kind of threw the kitchen crazy. sink into it. That's, that's a really, you know, I read the, the Japanese version of that as soon as it came up, and, you know, I had never heard that Awakening was meant to be the final game, but, you know, looking back on it, it kind of makes sense in terms of how much they just threw into it. Um, you know, Fire Emblem hasn't been a big seller in Japan for a long time, and Awakening just kind of came out of nowhere in some ways. Um, yeah, but whose fault was that? I mean, it wasn't you know, like Fire Emblem was good. Uh, <laughs> going back to... Uh, before Fire Emblem Awakening came out, arguably the last good Fire Emblem was Fire Emblem 7. And even some people took issue with that game's like balance and, and difficulty. Mm-hmm. But Fire Emblem 8, which was... Um, God, I can't remember what it's called over here, but uh, it, it came out here. It was really easy. And that also had a branching path. Um, that That also had a branching path system going on. And it was fun to play the two different paths, but it was at the end of the day, quite an easy game. Uh, I would argue that the GameCube games were leaned toward being a little too difficult, and besides that, were also kind of ugly. Yeah. And they were on a system, they were on a platform where they weren't going to sell very well anyway. And then you got That's to the, also true. And then you got to the Wii version, and by, by all accounts, that one is fairly well regarded by fans but again really hard and also not that attractive and Shadow Dragon was terrible yeah that was not Yeah, <laughs> they cut out so much out. of the good stuff from Shadow Dragon and of course the one that came after Shadow Dragon never, never came out here so you could argue that the last really good Fire Emblem before before Awakening was probably 6 maybe or or 5 and that's I mean, a I, long I, uh, time. I actually, I really like the GBA entries for okay. Fire Emblem for the oh, most seven part. Seven got me into it. Yeah, and I think, too, I think part of what made it so hard to jump from GBA to GameCube and Wii and DS is because I think the GBA games had such really wonderful sprites. Hmm. Like, the sprite animation, animation in those games too. is incredible. And, like, going to that from that to kind of, like, eh, 3D modeling was not a great transition for that series. I also liked in Fire Emblem 7 that you started out with, um, God, what was her name? Uh, starts with an L. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, God, how could I forget this? I always kind of wish that she would end up in Smash Brothers because we have too many Marth clones at this point. Yeah. She or or Hector would be way more interesting than uh, Ike or or Roy. or yeah. even uh, Lucina. Yeah, you're talking about Lynn, right? Yeah, her name's yeah, yeah. Lynn Lindesty. I can't remember. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, it's Lin in the Japanese version, and I think it's Lindis in the American. Lindis, one. yes. Yeah. So you start out with her, and then you go through the entire campaign with her. But then you can play as Roy, or not Roy, um, Roy's son, I, Ellie Wood. Ellie Wood, yeah, Ellie Wood. And then you can play as Ellie Wood uh, from his perspective. You get a different story perspective, and then you can play as Hector. Yeah. And so you get more missions there, and you get a different perspective, and so. Whenever it goes solely to a character perspective, it'll swap and you'll see what's going on in the head of yeah. whatever character you're playing as. I always thought, I always found that rather enjoyable. I liked that. Yeah, those. I think those. The GBA. What was it? I think it was a trilogy of games. Yeah, there's only three or four. I'm not sure. Actually, I gotta look at my shelf now. But uh, there are three because yeah, I like, six was the one with Roy, but yes, it never came right. out here. Yes. Um, but yeah, I really like the GBA games. I kind of fell off the the series after that, though. Um, the 3D stuff didn't really a do lot it of for me. To be honest, like this series for me is for me strategy RPGs are such a handheld friendly genre. Hmm. That when they put them on consoles, I have a hard time sitting there for hours on end playing you know digital chess effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like yeah, being able to play on the go and just close my system and pick it up again is is a total lifesaver. One thing I did forget to mention, though, uh, since we were talking about sprites and how pretty they were in the GBA version. So at a first glance, uh, Fates does look a lot like Awakening, but there are a lot of really key visual differences uh, mm-hmm. that I think Intelligent Systems made. Uh, one big thing I'm sure everybody noticed, you know, the feetless monstrosities of Awakening are gone. Everybody has feet now. Um, <laughs> which wasn't a huge deal for me, but I know a lot of people that, that drove them kind of crazy. Um, but the other thing, and this kind of gave me shades of uh, Valkyria Chronicles, I almost said profile for some reason, um, when you're in the overhead map looking down at your units, uh, you're looking at like the sprites of your units and stuff, the map itself is in complete 3D, but when you click a unit and engage in battle, the camera swoops down from the top into the 3D environment uh, seamlessly. And your sprites turn into the 3D model seamlessly in one go. And then when you finish the uh, altercation, the camera swoops back up again, just like in Valkyria Chronicles, which I thought was a really nice kind of technical piece on the 3DS. Um, It looks really good, and it kind of makes you feel like you're not just jumping between menus. I like the way you put put that altercation. (laughs) That's that's what fire is. A series of altercations. And which you can die. In which, in which you could die forever, but then you could just reset, like I do, over and over again. Yeah, but... Yeah, that's the thing, is a lot of people complain about the permadeath in Fire Emblem, but in Fire Emblem Awakening, they added the, what, the casual mode? Yeah, and I think that was actually in one of the, the console versions as well before then, so it wasn't a completely new element. No, uh, they added a... Um, if I recall correctly, in the console one, they had mid-saves. Mid-saves. Yeah, they had mid-saves, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they kept it for Shadow Dragon, which took the edge off, because some Definitely. of those missions could be really long. Yeah, maybe too long. The thing was, is that in Fire Emblem, like, you're always in the most danger early of mm-hmm. losing a character. Like, there's a mission in the Fire Emblem 7 where you have to recruit a... Um, the, the guy who like the kung fu guy with the like the little sword who can do like criticals really easily because he had yeah, a killing yeah, yeah. edge, 
and there's a there's a non-zero chance that he will attack your character and do a crit on them and kill them in one hit. In which case, well, you better reset now. Yeah, whoops, I guess RNG was not favorable to you there. Because you got to recruit him, right? So yeah. you have to get near him, and there's a there's a chance that he'll get you. So One thing I, I will say, and especially as someone who's always been garbage at these games, but loves them nonetheless, hmm. um, I think it's a good thing that all these options are here. Yeah. Uh, kind of in the same way that, like, you know, I know uh, Jeremy just recently reviewed uh, Etrian Odyssey Untold 2, uh, which is a great game that I also played. And, you know, that's a game that gives you tons of options. You know, you could play the game without a story. You can play the game with a story. It's basically two games in one. You know, you have all these difficulty options. And I think that's a good thing, you know. I think it's, it's, it speaks to the fact that Fire Emblem is still alive now and is going to be alive going forward because they understood that they needed to bring new people in, but they also couldn't abandon their old fans either. Um, so sometimes, you know, I see people complaining about, you know, oh, people playing it casually, like they're not even playing Fire Emblem. Let them play the, the way they want to play it, you know? It's not going to hurt the way you play it. You know, if my friend decides to play with Permadeath off, like, cool, he gets to play the game and enjoy it too. You know, it's a good thing. I don't see people complaining so much about the fact that there's a casual mode, because for the most part, it'll be like... Like, for me, when I reviewed Awakening, I played on the regular mode, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And actually, I didn't yeah. lose a character until the very end of the game, mm-hmm. when I was fighting the final boss, and finally I just... They weren't a super important character, so I was like, okay, you There's one ever toss them to the fire, so yeah, I do that too. I was like, oh, I want to finish this game now, so uh, sorry, you're gone, you're dead. Sure. You start to look for the units that you care the least about. Eh, I could do without you in the credits. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I think I think the thing that was kind of hard to push was when Fire Emblem Awakening pe- came out, people were like, oh, Fire Emblem, that game with permadeath. Um, I'm scared. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, it has a casual mode now, so you can play and enjoy the story without having to worry about that. And they're like, but it says casual mode. Yeah. Naming is a big thing, huh? I don't want to be weak. And I'm like, but you're not being weak. You just don't like permadeath. It's interesting (laughs) to me. You're just playing it without permadeath. Who cares? It's interesting to me how much that the naming has to do with, you know, how you approach these things psychologically. You don't want to be casual, right? Like, it doesn't mean you're weak. I mean, literally, it's just that permadeath has been taken out of the game. Like, I mean, in Fates, there's, you know, you can play it casually... But then on top of that, you know, there's a second difficulty setting for actual, like, actual difficulty, like, not including the permadeath stuff. So you could play it on the max difficulty without permadeath, and it'd be, like, casual nightmare or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, it's not casual anymore at that point. You're just playing it like a normal, standard SRPG, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess they could find a better word. Casual just kind of stings, I think, for a lot of people. I think the thing that's worth remembering is that in most Fire Emblem games, initially you might lose some characters and have to restart, mm-hmm. but as you can you as you progress, the characters get really strong. They do. And actually become kind of one person, one character wrecking crews. Yep. Um, I remember. Send them into that crowd. I remember in the original Fire Emblem or in Fire Emblem Seven, sorry, because that's kind of like my main touchstone. Yeah. Like you could, I could have like um, this one warrior who had like the bow and the big axe, basically just stand there, and take on wave after wave after wave of enemies. Like you get to the, 
you get to some of those later missions where you would just put like one or two characters in a choke point <laughs> and just like waves of enemies would break against them and there was nothing that and it's like well whatever and oh uh, one of my characters got hurt well here comes my troubadour to uh, heal my entire screen yeah I uh in Fates I took a liking to a lot of the archer characters so they ended up getting really really high in level and they just go around the map demolishing people from you know tiles away like I think the entire last uh, chapter was just won by archers at that point I felt kind of bad about it but I mean these games give you so many ways to play well yeah I don't I don't think it's rocket science why Awakening was way better than, or way more successful than the other Fire Emblem games. It was being played on a system that was, it, it was available on a system that was starting to rise at that point, because this was, what, 2013? Starting to rise, and at the same time, it still had, didn't quite have enough games oh, so it that it wouldn't risen. drown in there, you know? It had basically dr- risen at that point. So if people were buying the 3DS XL and were like, oh, yeah, games, sweet. Exactly, um, yeah. And it just looked way better than the previous Fire Emblem games, right? Like, uh, the, the 3D finally worked in a way that it simply didn't with the, the GameCube and the Wii versions. It had a, had a style to it that I really Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really even know what it was exactly about the 3D that, like, did it over the GameCube or the Wii versions, but I guess something about it felt just a little bit more refined, even if... Like, if you put them side-by-side and pixel-wise, they might have lost out to those other versions of the game. Something Mm -hmm. about the way they animated was just The models in the GameCube version were really stiff. It was the way they animated. And plus, if I recall correctly, uh, it was slower to load, so it slowed Mm. the pace of the action a bit. It's all in all, like, Fire Emblem Awakening was just a much more stylish game that I preferred for the... For the most part, I mean. I also think it was a. Uh, I actually think it was a smart move too, bringing on uh, Yusuke Kozaki as the character designer, because hmm. um, I think he has these really stylish kind of pop esque visuals. Like I always remember him from his work on No More Heroes, which is a game with really loud character designs. Um, but I feel like he's he's really good at making appealing looking characters to everybody, and I, that probably speaks volumes to why the game was so popular across a wide range of demographics. Ultimately. Yeah, and they didn't even have the the social links in in Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon, so you had to bring them back for mm-hmm. Awakening. So not only did they bring them back, they brought back a very popular system from Five, and being able to make them have kids, yeah, and then being able to create your own character helped a lot. Just on down the line, and plus it was better balanced than most of the Fire Emblem games in the past. It it was fun. Yeah. It was a great game. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I know I know a lot of people were very concerned, and I feel like because there's only kind of a handful of Westerners who have experience with the, with the new game now at this point, that it's kind of hard to talk about, but like I know a lot of people, myself included, were concerned when they announced, you know, two different Fire Emblem games. Like, were they really pulling, like, a Pokemon scenario here where it's, you know, red and blue and you're going to get minute differences? Or... Are we getting, you know, a Zelda situation, which never happens because it's too much money and who in their right mind would ever do that? But, you know, in all honesty, like, they just, they made two Awakening-sized Fire Emblem games and released them at the same time, which I, I, like, someone had to do the numbers behind the scenes and say, yeah, this will be fine, but that person is crazy and maybe a mad genius or something. Um, But you know what, like, 
after playing through Birthright and starting uh, Conquest and then looking forward to the third campaign, hey, I we just got three fi- effectively three Fire Emblem games at once. Like, when is that going to happen again? You know? <laughs> yeah, right series, now that I have to dead. review three different games. <laughs> that That's also a bit of a struggle, admittedly. That's a but, lot of work for me. Boo-hoo, right? Oh, but no, I have to play Fire Emblem. <laughs> Poor cat. If you're, if you're lucky, the third campaign, Invisible Kingdom, will come out a month later like it did in uh, Japan because, I don't know, just I guess localization might push it back a little bit further instead of releasing them all at the same time. But uh, do, did we ever find out how they're going to sell those in America? The Fire Emblem like, games? Yeah, as like one... Yeah, as one package or two games or what? Because I know there was some discussion about that. I'm sure, but I don't have the answer handy right now. Yeah, figure as much. But I'm sure that... I would not be surprised if they just sold them separately. I mean, it. I mean, they've certainly gotten away with that in the past with Pokemon and, and uh, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. So. I guess this is the ultimate test of uh, Fire Emblem's, I guess life in America is whether or not they can get away with selling them both at the same time and whether that'll actually be profitable for them. As long as they clearly, as long as the messaging is really clear. Yeah, that's the thing. They really gotta make that clear. They're like, these are two different games um, that also kind of tie into one another, so it doesn't matter which one you pick up. um, If you want to pick up both, go for it. I'm sure they'll also have I'm sure they'll also have a package where you can buy both if you want, along with the Yeah, DLC. they they have that in Japan as well. Interestingly enough, I actually think the way to go with this game is the digital version, mm-hmm. because in Chapter 6, when you do have to choose a side, it's so much more impactful when you actually can choose. Um, because the whole first chunk of the game, that whole prologue, is dedicated to try to get you to know both sides of the war and kind of become attached to a set of characters. So when it pushes you to that point where you have to betray somebody, like you don't feel good about it, regardless of which family you pick. Um, I, you know, bought the game knowing full well that I was going to go the birthright route, and I still felt horrible and almost pushed the trigger or pulled the trigger on uh, going to the conquest because I just felt so bad with the way they edited in the character reactions and the dialogue and stuff. It's a really effective piece of storytelling. Um, so it's so kind wait, of a shame. Is it that, a story split or is it running in parallel? Uh, it's a story split essentially. So, so it's like choose this version or this version, like. Yeah, it's, it's a what if scenario. What if you chose oh. Oshido, and what if you chose uh, Byakuya or Anya? I think is the name of the kingdom. It's um, a Sophie's choice. Exactly, and then the third route runs in the middle, if you pick neither side, and choose to go it alone. Um, which is probably, ultimately, the true path, I imagine. The um, DLC path. Yeah. Which is where you get characters from both sides, and you're fighting this invisible enemy, which is why it's called Invisible Kingdom, I guess. Um, but yeah, so when you pick the digital version, you actually get to choose at that moment in time, which was a really neat experience from a gameplay perspective. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the one thing they need to make clear, though, is that Birthright is the game for people not super experienced with Fire Emblem, and Conquest is the harder, more challenging Fire Emblem game that fans want. Um, I mean, you could play Birthright and still enjoy it, but it's going to feel kind of like about as easy as Awakening did to some people, uh, whereas Conquest is the one that's going to make you cry in your sleep, as far (laughs) as I know. It's made me cry in my sleep sometimes. 
Well, alright. So Fire Emblem Fates coming out, I think, next year here in the U.S. Yes. Are you playing anything else right now? Right now, I am playing a couple of things, actually. Uh, I am playing a Bandai Namco dungeon RPG called Ray Gigant. Okay, what's this? Uh, it's for the Vita. It was developed by Experience. Um, they're kind of known for their 2D or 3D dungeon crawlers. Um, a low-budget studio. They're not a high-profile studio at all, but they have their fans. Um, and they kind of work together with Bandai Namco to make this new 3D dungeon crawler, um, which is a little bit more story-focused than they've done in the past. Uh, but kind of the big unique thing about it is that so you have a party of three characters... And there's no experience in the game. You don't gain experience through battles. Uh, you gain materials. And you use those materials to level up certain things like your weapons, your items, your attacks, uh, your strength, your speed, etc. Um, which is a really interesting way to go about a dungeon crawler. Um, but the way battles play out is that... So you have your three characters, but when a character's on screen, they're actually an animated 2D character. So think like an anime character moving uh, in the front of the screen hand-animated. Um, I believe Time and Eternity, Image Epochs, the late Image Epochs uh, PS3 game tried to do something like this and failed spectacularly, um, whereas Reagan kind of gets it a little bit closer. Um, and so they're moving really fluidly 2D animation, but the big thing is that when you get into boss battles, certain boss battles against huge monsters called gigants, um, each character is attacking from a different range. So, for example, let's say you're attacking a giant dragon that's curled around Tokyo Tower. One character will be at Tokyo Tower right next to the monster. The second character will be maybe 100 meters away on a building. And then the third character will be further further like away, kind of sniping from a different position further back. And so the distance from the creature determines what sort of attacks you can do and how much damage you're going to do and what's the most effective strategy to go about things. Um, I'm not very far in. I'm only a few hours in. But from what I played, it was very interesting. Um, I know it hasn't been announced for the West yet, but all of Experience's games for the Vita have gotten a U.S. release. Um, Demon Gaze and all those. So I can't see this kind of going by. Bandai Namco has been pretty much localizing everything in their in their portfolio at this point. So Except but, the Super Robot War games, because why would yes. you localize those? <laughs> never, nev never. Just, let's not talk about Super Robot Wars. It just makes me sad. So, and apparently they've got uh, DLC coming uh, and an update with the tougher boss fight and a uh, sequel story for all three protagonists. So you get even more Ray Gigant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cool from what I played. I don't know if I'm totally into it at this point, but yeah, it seems, if nothing else, it's interesting. It's a different take on a genre that I thought I knew very well. What else are you playing? Uh, right now, I am playing... Playing a few... Ah, that's right. Okay. There's one other RPG, sort of, that I've been playing. Uh, is Idea Factory's Makai Shin Trillion. Okay, Idea Factory, Compile Heart, the people behind the Neptunia games, etc. Ah, uh, yes, my nemesis. Yes. Uh, <laughs> behind hundreds of Otome games as well. Sure. Um, yeah, they, they basically took a bunch of the Disgaea team uh, because... A lot of folks who worked on the original Disgaea and its subsequent sequels abandoned ship from uh, Nipponichi Software after some really not-so-great allegations of, like, 
abusing their workers, etc. Uh, so a bunch of people jumped ship. They lost a lot of their big talent. And I guess Compile Heart and Idea Factory just kind of swooped in and offered them the chance to make a game. Uh, and that game is Makaishin Trillion, which is it's a roguelike mixed with a character-raising like simulation game. Um, and I guess the, the best way to describe character-raising is like... Uh, I don't know, something like Princess Maker, that kind of thing where you're basically managing stats and and kind of putting them through classes and training, etc., to get them to a certain point. Uh, and this game is all about beating this giant monster called Trillion. He's called Trillion because he has one trillion hit points. Um, and basically you play as the demon lord of the underworld, and you've been killed by this monster, uh, and you get brought back to life. But you can't fight anymore because you're too injured, you're basically in a crusty body. So you have to send your kind of main generals to go and kill this thing, but none of them are ready to do it by themselves. So you have to pick one at a time to raise and take through like a series of training exercises and you know dialogue and various uh, like roguelike dungeons. And after the end of a certain time period, you have to send them to fight Trillion. Uh, they will not win most of the time. Uh, they're going to get killed, and when they die, they're permanently dead. So these are story characters that are just gone. And you have to choose which ones you're going to execute, essentially. Because the damage they do to Chilean stays over to the next character. So you're whittling away at this giant boss by throwing you know, characters you like at it, essentially, and fighting it in battle. Um, so that's the kind of the main gameplay loop, so to speak. I don't you know, I like the idea, and there's a lot of things about the execution that I really like. I think this might be Idea Factory's most interesting game. As far as RPGs are concerned, it's very I, Valkyrie profile esque. A little bit, yeah. You know, in it's that mostly you're many getting these characters and you're you're sending them away to do uh, well to fight battles, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, you control the battles yourself. Essentially, it's it's on a giant uh, grid, and Trillion takes up a huge portion of it. And you know, every move you make, everything else on the field moves with you in real time. So, in that sense, it's like a roguelike. Um, but yeah, you, you do damage to it, and then your character gets killed, and you go to the next character, and you have to pick which one you're going to roll with next. Um, and I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot to like about it, I think. But the problem is that it feels very rushed. Uh, it feels like there's something about it that's just a little bit too janky. Like menu transitions, the way music cuts out. A factory game that feels rushed and janky. Tell me more. Yeah, you know, but at the same time, it feels more tragic in this situation, because I think they have something. Like, I don't like Idea Factory games or Compile Heart games, typically. Like, I'm not a Neptunia fan. I'm not a, a whatever that other RPG they made was. I don't even know anymore. I know both games have their fans, and that's fine with me, but, like, this is the first one that I've actually legitimately wanted to play. And I, I kept trying to push myself to play more and more, but after a certain point, I had to put it down because it just it felt unfinished. It felt like they had a really good idea, a really good core gameplay loop, and even, like, pretty good writing for an Idea Factory game. Like, it's a lot less, like, eh, as you would expect it to be. But the actual package holding it all together is, like, duct tape. You so, know, like, a lot of these games... Of a lot of these games have good ideas, as you said, and they're just done in by the fact that Compile Heart and uh, Idea Factory, whatever, are like, well, we need to make some money, so get that thing out the door and move right on. And here's the They're thing. They're the definition I... of commercial, which 
can mean a lot of different things, but they're shooting for a very specific audience in Japan, yep. and they need to make their quotas. <laughs> so. and, and it's so bizarre to me, because their games are not blockbusters by any means. Even among the, the super you know, niche, like... Right, it's a volume business. It's, they're it's not very going... small. They're going. They're volume business, and so they're not going. They're not going for like big quality kind of thing. They're going for well, let's just keep churning out these games, and over time, uh, we're going to make back our money because they do not have terribly large budgets, and we are targeting a very specific niche. And at the same time, what bothers me is that I think a lot of their games, a lot of their games have elements that are strong within them, right? And I feel like they could very well make a really great, like, more mainstream appealing RPG. I think it's in them. I think they can do it. I think they have the staff to do it. I think, like you said, though, the problem is that they're not concerned with trying to do it. Like, they have no reason to go out of their way to do that. Um, and I think this is actually the closest they've gotten, which is why it's all the more heartbreaking, uh, because it's so different from their usual output on every level. Like, it feels more like a Disgaea team game than a Compile Heart game. And I guess that's because, you know, most of the Disgaea team worked on it. But it's so close, and it's just missing the mark, which is kind of a bummer. Elliot, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ryoga Sautome, R-Y-O-U-G-A, S-A-O-T-O-M-E. Uh, I run a import games and sometimes anime blog called Doki Doki Kusoge dot Moe. Um, that also has a Twitter account. You can find that pretty easily. Um, and yeah, I just I do freelance work all over the internet, so you can find my stuff in various places. Yeah, you can totally find your thoughts on Fire Emblem Fates on US Gamer yeah. right now, as of when this podcast goes up. Huzzah! Woohoo! Alright, and I, of course, am Cat Bailey, and you can find me at the underscore catbot. Send me, drop me a line if you like this podcast at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Please review and rate us over on iTunes, and, you know, in general, stay in touch. Um, I always like hearing from the fans. But in the meantime, Elliot, we're going to head out. Uh, Alright. For Elliot and myself, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring.